Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Amen. It is a good day to gather, to talk and look at this idea of joy. As we are searching for Christmas, expectant of the Advent, the, the coming, the arrival of the Messiah, and all that he gives and all that he brings. And uh, so this morning, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, as we uh, continue this series, Searching for Christmas, specifically looking uh, this morning at the idea of joy. Last week we looked at peace, this week we turn our attention to joy. Now, uh, as you're turning there, I just remind you, Christmas on the Hill is happening this coming uh, Friday and Saturday. Very excited about being able to express and share the joy of Christmas with our community. And so make sure, uh, if you haven't found a place and a way to serve and help out with that, see Casey at the end of the service. He'll make sure that uh, you find a spot with that. Uh, But more than anything, we want our church folks to to be there, interacting uh, with the hundreds and hundreds of folks from our community that are going to be on campus uh, that night out on the field. And uh, be praying for some good weather, right? Like there's a lot of rain showing up, you know, this week, but uh, God is the God of all things. And so uh, it's going to be a good, good uh, couple of nights. And so make sure you turn your attention to that this coming weekend. Luke chapter 2 this morning, we again, like I said, turn our attention to this idea of joy. So read with me. We read it uh, a little bit earlier for our time of Advent, but again, I want us to look at it beginning in verse 8 this morning. It says this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, Imagine that moment, right? Imagine being one of the shepherds in, in that dark field and that, that, that cold, dark night. All of a sudden, this, this angelic being, the glory of God, like, like shining out. Like We've not encountered anything like that in our world. This, this, is, uh, this is of God. This is something that they had never seen before. And I would imagine the fear, as it says, like they were shaking in fear in that moment. And so notice what the angel says in response in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, fear not. For behold, I bring you, listen to this, good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. That word good news is wengelion. It's it's the, the word for gospel. It's this understanding that there is a savior that's coming, a message that's coming. It's a message of good news. And he goes on and he says this, I bring you the good news of great joy. Great joy, that will be for all people. The message of Christ, the message of the savior for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. This is a message of good news. In the message of good news, it says, will bring joy. It will bring joy for all people. Church, we celebrate Christmas. We go through all the activities and all the hustle and bustle. We must not forget that the joy that we are experiencing because we get to go look at Christmas lights and open presents and go to uh, pajama Christmas parties and, you know, all the things that go along with this. It brings joy in our hearts and our spirits. But understand that the joy that we have ultimately is found in Christ and the gift of Christ because he is the savior of the world. And it is a message for all people. Church, it's a message for all people. 
So I want us to look at this. I want us to, to understand this. Now, typically when I preach, I like to just preach through a passage and, and, and kind of exegete the text. Um, this is different. We're walking through this different Advent season. And so we're going to look at this idea of joy kind of holistically together this morning. So the first thing I want to point us to and help us understand is understanding the foundation of joy seeking. The foundation of joy seeking. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's Here's the essence of what I want to get at. All of us in this room, we are all joy seekers. We want joy. We want to experience joy. We filter all of our decisions, for the most part, through the lens of, will this bring me joy or not? Right? Like, think about it. This morning, you woke up and you came to church, and hopefully you went to a life group this morning. Well, the, the choice of the life group you went somewhat was probably determined on will this group bring me joy? Now, hopefully you went to it to learn and to, you know, all of the, the, the spiritual things that we want. But like ultimately, like you're going to choose a group that's going to bring joy to your life. Like you don't want to go to a group that you're just bored out of your mind in, right? Like you don't want to be there. You don't like the people in the group. You know, just so you know, those of you who are new this morning, we don't have any groups like that. All of our groups bring joy, right? But let's just be honest, right? We, we filter things through this lens. When you leave after this service, you're going to go eat lunch somewhere. And you're going to either go home and cook something or you're going to go to a restaurant and you're going to look at this vast expanse of a menu and you're going to choose something to eat based on what's going to bring joy to you as you eat it. Now, some of you are going to make a choice that is healthy, right? And you're not necessarily going to have joy in the taste of the healthiness of it, but it's going to bring joy to you that you chose to be healthy and you're going to feel better later. And so your joy is going to come later than those of us who choose the food that we want to eat because it's bringing joy to us in the moment. But we all choose joy, right? We are joy seekers. And what I want to bring to our attention this morning is why are we joy seekers? What is it about us? What is it that we long for? What is happening in us? And here's what I believe. I believe that God has created us. God has created you to be a joy seeker. God has wired it in your DNA. He has created you. He has hardwired this internal reality that seeks after joy. Now, why is that? I believe the reason God has done that is because God understands that our greatest joy will be fulfilled in him. And so he puts within us this hunger, this desire to experience joy so that we will chase after God himself and experience and find the fulfillment of the joy that we so long for and desire. The Westminster Catechism asks this important question, what's the chief end of man? I think that's an important question. I think it's a question that we should all consider. What is the chief end? Like, what, what is my aim? What, what am I here for? Why do I exist? And the answer that's given in that is that we are to glorify God, right? And we understand that. We want to glorify God with all that we do. This is why we do church, is because we want to worship him and glorify him. We do all things to the excellence and the glory of God. But then he goes on, he says, we glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what, what it's teaching is that the chief end of man is that we glorify God with our lives and enjoy him. 
God is a God to be enjoyed. He longs for us to find joy in him. Why? Because he's created us to be joy seekers, to delight in him, to love him, to find him. So if we think through this and we understand this from the understanding of creation. Last week we looked, as we looked at peace, right, we lit the peace candle and talked about peace and that even in creation, we see God being a peacemaker, right? He took what was chaotic and dark and he formed it. He brought wholeness, completeness to it. He brought shalom to earth. And in creation, we also see this idea of joy. If you know in the creation account, like each day, right? Each day of creation, at the end of it, as he finished that creative moment, he looks upon it, he looks at what he's created and what? He sees it and he says that it is, say it with me, it is good. Each day he repeats that. It's good. It's good. It's good. He creates man. It's really good, right? Like he goes through this. And as we think through, what does it mean for God to say good? Just understand that God's understanding of good is much grander than our understanding of good, right? Like like we think that, you know, Golden Corral is a good buffet, And some of you are shaking your heads, no. How dare you? I didn't say it was a great buffet. I said it was a good buffet. Now, you understand, right? Like, when we hear good, it's not great. In fact, there's a book, like, the enemy of great is good. Like, we we see this. But when God says it's good, we need to understand that when he's talking about good, he's talking about perfection. He's talking about good, what is ultimately good. One commentator summarized the Hebrew word for good there this way, that which is happy, beneficial, aesthetically beautiful, morally righteous, preferable, of superior quality, of ultimate value. This is what God has created when he creates and he looks at it and he says, it is good. It is these things. Now picture this for a moment. God creates in this way for one purpose and one purpose only, so that all of which he's created points back to him because he is Good And so all of creation shouts and proclaims and exclaims that God is good, the beauty of it all. This is why Romans tells us that man is without excuse, because when we look out and we see all that God has created, it shouts and it screams and it testifies of God's goodness and his good creation. Now, follow me for a second. God has created this. And on the last day, what does he create? Who does he create? He creates mankind. He creates us. And then he places mankind in the arena of all the good that which he has created. Do you see this? And so what God is doing is he's saying that we are the best of his creation. We're the ones created in his image, created for relationship, to enjoy him forever. And what does he do? He creates an enjoyable arena for us in which to live his good creation. Why? So that we can experience and know and have his joy through all the gifts and all the pleasure, all the things that he's given us to be found in him. But then Adam and Eve, they sin, they rebel against God, they choose their own pleasure rather than God's pleasure. And in that, everything breaks. Everything's distorted. 
Everything is wrong. And then all of a sudden, we are living in a day and a time in which there is no joy for many people. Why? Because they are turning to that which is broken for their joy rather than that which is good, which is God himself. And so as we think through this, this is the arena which God has created for joy, for us to experience joy because we are joy seekers because he's made us this way. Follow me to Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, when Isaiah prophesies or speaks about a new creation that's coming. Listen to what it says. It says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. This is what is going to happen in the future when Christ returns. He's going to create a new, a new heaven, a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. What are the former things? Well, that's where we are right now. This sinful world, our sinful selves, the distorted reality that has happened. In other words, God is going to recreate and make new. He's going to restore the perfect creation that he did back in the very beginning. He's going to redo that again with this new heaven and a new earth. And then he says in verse 18, Isaiah 65, but be glad and rejoice forever. This is the rejoicing that's to come. This is why this is a message of good news of great joy that will be for all people because there's coming a day when he's going to make a new heaven, a new earth, and we will rejoice forever and be glad in it, in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. This is the new earth. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. This is the joy that we're going to have in Christ for all of eternity. But he is doing so. Why? Because we are joy seekers seeking after him and seeking that kind of joy. This is how we're created. This is what we're made for. So in God's original creation and in God's final creation, his intent is that we, his people, find perfect joy in him. And he's made us desire this, long for this. But as we live in this in-between, church, we're living in the in-between. We're living in the in-between of the perfect creation that happened at the very beginning and this new creation that's going to come. We live in the sinful time in this world in which there is brokenness and there is destruction, there is death, there is misery, there is unhappiness, there's a sense in which there is no joy. People are searching for joy. They're searching for joy. So how do we understand this? Number two, what I want us to understand is this, the fade of corrupted joy. The fade of corrupted joy. We live in a time of corrupted joy. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I want to do, let me, let me explain. There's, there's joy, and then there's happiness, and there's pleasure. And I want to give us some understanding of these different realities. Happiness. What is, what is happiness? Let me, let me define it this way. Happiness is an emotion based on circumstances and outcomes. Now, the word happy, literally the, the root of it is from the Latin hap, which means chance. So in other words, happy is by chance. In other words, you find yourself happy by chance at times. Now, I mentioned this in the first service and I got chastised, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Those of you who are Ohio State fans in the room, you are happy because of chance that two teams lost yesterday. There was nothing that you did for this. There's nothing, you don't deserve it. Let's just be honest, okay? Michigan is the picture of joy. Everything was settled, it was complete, it was whole. 
There is no chance to that. The reality is that Ohio State fans, and here I am in Tennessee talking about this, and we're just ungrateful as Tennesseans. But do you understand this idea? We can be happy for one moment and then the very next be unhappy or be unhappy and then the very next because of chance, happy. And what happens in our culture, right, as we shift away from God, who is the giver of joy, who's made us joy seekers, we look for happiness. We look for those moments, those experiences to make us happy. See, joy is gratitude rooted in grace, no matter the circumstance. Joy is gratitude rooted in grace, no matter the circumstance. Now listen, let me be very clear. Happiness is not a bad thing. I'm not, harp, I'm not downplaying happiness. In fact, there's a sense in which uh, we, we, we need to be happy, right? There's, there's a direct connection between joy and happiness. However, what happens is that we lose sight of the joy that we're supposed to have in search and chase for happiness. So for instance, let me explain the message that has come from the angels that has appeared. It says it's a message of good news of great joy that will be for all the people. It was the arrival, listen, of an objective truth that Jesus himself, who is God in, in the form of flesh, had come to earth to save people from their sins. That is an objective truth that can't be changed, that is foundational, that's not about emotion or feeling. It's not subjective, it's not by chance. It is a reality that has happened. And so our joy is rooted in that objective truth, it's rooted in that reality. This is who God is, and this is what He has done. So as we search for joy, we search for this objective truth. But in our culture, we have, we have replaced objective truth for subjective reality, meaning this. You see, what we want is we pursue feelings. We long to feel happy. And so we will chase after anything and everything that will make us feel happy in that moment. See, this idea of corrupted joy, the fade of corrupted joy, what is that? This is what I believe corrupted joy is. It's when we substitute our pursuit of joy in the objective truth of Jesus Christ for the pursuit of happiness in the subjective, self-centered pleasures of this world. Follow me. We substitute this objective reality that can't change searching for that joy, we substitute that for a pursuit and a hunger for a subjective, self-centered pleasure. Now what is pleasure? The word pleasure is this, that it's the Greek word, it's where we get the word hedonism from. Hedonism, well what is hedonism? Hedonism is the philosophy that everything is done for the fulfillment of self-centered pleasure seeking. So here's what happens. This is why it fades. Because happiness is our pursuit of something that's subjective. It's, it's, it's this pursuit of, of pleasure that makes us feel good in the moment, but yet it fades. We know that it fades. All things outside of God himself and the gift that he gives fades. 
And so what happens is we get hungry for this. We desire this as joy seekers who are sinful. We turn from the joy of the Lord and his gifts to seeking that which just makes us happy in the moment, which is pleasure. And in so doing, we find ourselves even more hungry because we are always empty. When we pursue pleasure, when we pursue the things that make us, that we feel are going to make us happy, as we partake in it, it makes us happy. And then it fades. And so what do we do? Well, that made us happy. So we go and pursue it again. And we get happy, if you will, for a moment, maybe a season. And then it fades. And as it fades, it makes us hungrier and hungrier and hungrier for more. And in so doing, we chase after it harder and harder and harder. And we drift further and further from the objective truth of where we find our joy. Solomon teaches us this truth in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Which I want to read this section of scripture because it's so important for us to understand. He is chased after everything, and essentially, he gives us an understanding of what's the result. Now, here's the king. Here's the one who has everything and can have everything. Listen to what he says. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure Enjoy yourself. In other words, I'm going to figure out if pleasure and the things of this world will satisfy. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? This is what he did, verse 3. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see that what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So what did I do? I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been there before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines and delight of the sons of man. And so I became great and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, listen to this, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. In other words, he was searching for joy. And so he said, it's got to be here in this world. And so he did anything and everything that his little heart desired. And it may have brought him happiness for a moment, but it fled, it faded, and he found himself empty. And he said it was all in vanity. Church, we live in a world that is seeking after, that is searching for joy. And the problem is, is they, in our world, and I say they, I mean us, we have turned away from that which gives joy, which is God himself, to that which doesn't, which is a corrupted joy. It's pleasure, and it fades, and it leaves us empty. Church, this morning, what is it that you are chasing after for joy in your life? 
Do you find yourself this morning in a place of joy? Where's your joy meter, if you will? I can promise you, this world has so much to offer. We live in a wealthy town, in a wealthy community, in a wealthy nation where we really can't have anything and everything that we want and desire. If you search for that and long for that, know that it will fade. And it won't satisfy the joy, desire that you have within you because God gave you that desire. And he gave it to you to be fulfilled in him and him alone. So this leads us to point number three, the fulfillment of pure joy. The fulfillment of pure joy. How do we find fulfillment? How do we wake up and say, yes, I am a person of joy today? How do we do that? What does that look like? See, pure joy is the joy that is not corrupt. It doesn't fade. It is, as God defines, good. It is of him and from him. It is the joy of the Lord. It is the gift that was proclaimed on that day when Jesus was born. It is a message of good news. It's a message for all people that will bring joy to the world. And so as followers of Christ, how do we wrestle with this? How do we understand this? The first is this, the fulfillment of joy in your life originates with your faith in Jesus. Meaning this, you will never have it until you first have Jesus. This is what the angels were proclaiming. Unto you today is born a savior who is Christ the Lord. This is good news, and this is a message that will bring joy. In other words, until you receive that baby, until you receive Christ in faith, that's what originates the joy within you. Why? Because remember, God placed it there. The desire for it, the need for it, was given by God, and it is only fulfilled by God. So faith in Jesus. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Listen, and what do we do in that? We rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, we sang a song that says, I believe that I will be resurrected when he comes again. Church, like... If you literally mean those words, that you believe that because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection, that you too one day will be resurrected from the dead. Come on, this is a joy that roots itself deep in an objective reality that can't be changed by circumstances. And so he says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Listen, church. Our belief, our faith in Jesus is not rooted in whether we have goosebumps and good feelings about where we are in our relationship with God. It's rooted in the reality of who he is. There are moments, there are times where you aren't going to feel like you are in good standing with God or, you know, you go on, like you don't feel the joy. That's okay. Because of who God is, it's rooted in his work, not our feelings. And in so doing, because of that, we can stand and say, I rejoice. I rejoice. The second reality is this, the fulfillment of our joy 
depends upon our obedience to Jesus. It originates with faith in Jesus, but now it continues on in our obedience. What do I mean by that? Look at what Jesus has to say to his disciples in John chapter 15. He says in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, what? That my joy may be in you. And that your joy, what, may be full. So what Jesus is doing is he's tying some connections between our obedience and our joy. As we walk in fellowship with God, as we abide in Christ, this is the the passage where he's talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear fruit unless you as the branch are attached to the vine. Why? Because all the source comes from the vine into the branch. Well, how does that flesh itself out? Well, it fleshes itself out in joy. But the picture of our abiding, a picture of us in fellowship is our what? Obedience. It's our obedience. He says it right there. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And as you remain in my love, you will experience and know my joy. Listen, there was a time in my life when I was in high school and I was miserable. I was miserable. I wasn't joyful. I wasn't even happy. I was frustrated. I was looking around me and saying, this is not what this was told to me to be. What's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with this system? What's wrong with Christianity? What's wrong with God? Like, what's wrong? And I just began to pray, and the Lord took me to this passage in John chapter 15. And I read it, and it was as if God just said, the reason you aren't experiencing the fullness of your Christianity and the joy of the Lord is simply because you're not walking in obedience to me and you're not abiding in me. You start doing that, and then you will experience the joy of the Lord. I was like, well, that's great. (laughs) What does that do? when we experience that, when we know that, well, we repent and we turn and we confess. This is what David did. Think about David, who is known for being a man after God's own heart. He is also known as the one who murdered and committed, what, adultery. And listen to what he has to say in Psalm 51, verse 7 through 12. He says, purge me. See, he was confronted with his sin. He wasn't walking in obedience. He wasn't abiding in the vine. He was disobedient, searching for pleasure of the things of the world to make himself happy, which faded and ultimately led to this. Listen, so he is confessing. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Do you see it? He goes on. He says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. So what's happening in his sin, in his conviction, in understanding that he has turned from the joy of the Lord to turn to the pleasures of this world that are fading, his bones began to ache. His soul began to be crushed. He did not have any longer the joy of the Lord. And so you go on. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Listen, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Listen, it's when we disobey God that the joy within us is crushed. 
But church, there's no greater joy than crying out to a saving God. This is why it's good news of great joy for all people. Because when we confess and we repent and we come before Jesus Christ, he restores the joy of the Lord within us. This is the gospel. This is why the message of Jesus is good news. So then, thirdly, how do we walk in this fulfillment? The fulfillment of joy in our life, listen, sustains, in other words, it keeps on going through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. You've heard of the fruit of the Spirit before. One of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and on and on, right? So there is a sense in which our ability to experience and express joy is rooted in the work of the Holy Spirit in us, bearing that fruit out in our lives. So as Jesus says, abide in the vine, right? As we as the branch abide in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit fuels us, energizes, creates within us the fruit of joy in our life. Alistair Begg, he's an incredible pastor. I was listening to him. He said in 2009, he received a note from an individual. This individual said in the note that they had a friend of theirs who had been suffering through brain cancer. And this individual was in the hospital and working through the treatments and and dealing with brain cancer. And the note said that the nurse of this patient had written on the patient's chart these words. The patient is inappropriately joyful. The patient is inappropriately joyful. Why? Because this patient has found a joy that is inexpressible. A joy that is not subjective. A joy that is not based on circumstances. A joy that's not by chance. It is a joy that is rooted in the gift of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Who had come to bring joy to the world. And in so doing was living in such a way, even in a hospital bed with brain cancer, so much joy that a nurse says this is inappropriate. The person who wrote the note to Pastor Begg said, I long for the rest of my life to have a goal to become inappropriately joyful. He kept this note. He keeps it in his Bible, he says, because it's always a reminder to him that we as followers of Christ in our search for joy have found joy. And we too can live in inappropriate joy. See, Isaiah chapter 9, which we read last week, 800 years before the night that the angels came to the shepherds, said this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. Listen, you have increased its joy. What a good word. What a good word. See, this is the fact, though, that we are living in the in-between. And there's coming a day, according to Revelation chapter 19, and I want to finish with this. Listen to these words. Then I heard what seemed to be the the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us, say it with me, rejoice 
and exult and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready for him. Listen, church, we are the bride. We are the bride. In our search for joy, we have found it in the groom, Jesus Christ. And he's coming back. There's going to come a day when he doesn't come as a baby, but comes as king to bring us into the ultimate joy that he's created us for in the new heaven and the new earth. But notice what the scripture says. The bride has made herself ready. Church, are you ready? Are you ready for the day when Jesus Christ returns? Is that going to be a day of rejoicing for you or of regret? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for the joy that we have in the Lord. We thank you that Jesus has come, and it's a message of great joy for all people. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And in his perfection was condemned to death because of our imperfection. And he died on a cross, taking our place as our substitute so that we can be forgiven, that we can be set free, that we can experience the joy that we're created to have. God, you didn't leave him on that cross. You didn't leave him in that grave. In your power and your might, you overcame sin and you overcame death and rose him from the dead. And the scripture says that those who are in Christ will one day rise again. Lord, we long for that day. We're grateful for that joy. We find joy in the moment because of the joy that's to come. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room that doesn't know you, that doesn't have this kind of joy. Lord, I pray that they would turn and give their life to you and experience the joy that's inexpressible. Lord, those of us in Christ Jesus, may we be reminded this morning that our fulfillment of joy, our inappropriateness of joy is found in you, not in the things of this world. Lord, forgive us when we trade that, substitute that. Lord, you have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's respond in song. I'll be down front. If you need someone to pray with you, encourage you, be happy to do so. Casey's over here. Grab me at the end of the service. Be happy to talk about how God's leading in your life. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.